and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. Coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Good day, everybody. My name is Larry Levin, part of the IRI Thought Leadership Team. And today is my absolute privilege and honor to spend a little bit of time talking to truly one of the industry's foremost authorities on all things sustainability, around the sustainability agenda. My partner and a true, truly great friend, Randy Kronfalsako, joins us today. She is part of the New York University Center for Sustainable Business. Randy, you've had a storied career in CPG, so why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your experiences from your days at Kraft to J&J to uh, what you do with the NYU Center for Sustainable Business. Uh, Welcome. Oh, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here. Uh, By way of background, I am at Stern's Center for Sustainable Business, which is an academic center within NYU's business school, whose mission It is to prove that, continue to prove that sustainable business is good business. My background is in uh, consumer packaged goods. I started at Kraft in a year that I won't say, but let's just call it the last century. Uh, I worked for eight years at Kraft Foods uh, in fun businesses like Jell-O, where I was involved in the Jell-O gelatin shots, which I'm sure many of you know that is, uh, as well as integral to the launch of Honey Bunches of Oats, which I know is Larry's favorites, one of Larry's favorite cereals, and probably one of the bigger successes for Kraft or Post. Uh, From Kraft, I then moved to Johnson & Johnson, running the global uh, women's health business and then the global uh, baby business. My interest in sustainability really started uh, coincident with having children, but also running the global baby business. And what we found is that there's this universal insight that Johnson & Johnson uh, baby business had, which was having a baby changes everything. And absolutely, it changes how parents view the world that their children will inherit and drives interest in sustainability in a way that uh, had not, they had not before. So had they been kind of tree huggers before, they're even more so. And had they been uninterested or disinterested in uh, the planet and the planet's well-being, they certainly were now when they think about their children. Uh, And so when I had the opportunity to join Stern and and work on uh, sustainability issues, I jumped at it. And uh, I'll let you ask the next question, Larry. Well, that's great, Randy. It's funny that you talk about uh, tree huggers and and, uh, millennials, because I'm actually doing this podcast from our uh, grandchildren's house in uh, Houston, and there are no printers here because they don't want to waste paper. So Everything here is done electronically. It's quite uh, quite interesting and very reflective, I think, of today's society. So, Randy, let's talk a little bit about 
the business, the importance of sustainability in the marketplace. I know in the past you've talked, I believe that about 17% of CPG sales are coming from sustainably marketed products. Can you talk a little bit about NYU's platform and how you've been able to come up with that stat and then the impact that sustainably marketed products have had in CPG? Absolutely. When I joined about five years ago, as I said, I was interested in sustainability. And as a CPG marketer, I was particularly interested in what the share of sustainable products were uh, in CPG. I certainly knew what it was in the baby business, in the women's health business, but not uh, CPG at large. And despite lots of uh, research and uh, looking at academic journals and management consulting journals and some of the big uh, data houses, there was a dearth of data on actual sustainability uh, marketed product purchases. And because of that, I partnered with you and IRI to look at uh, and, and have a lovely relationship to look at actual purchases. And we did find out uh, when you and I started, uh, we found that sustainably marketed products were about 13% of the category in 2013. Uh, in 2020, uh, it was about 17% of the category. And that is um, lower than what we had hoped uh, but differentially contributed, uh, thanks to a question you asked, to um, the growth of CPG. So at, in 2019, that's 16% at the time, uh, delivered over half a CPG growth. So 16% share delivered 55% of the growth of CPG, which was unheard of. As you all know who are listening, you typically see share of market and share of growth be somewhat similar. And this was three, four times as large. Uh, and um, we were worried uh, during the pandemic that people would see interest in sustainably marketed products uh, as they focused on security, just buying products because there was a dearth of products. And that wasn't to be the case, what actually grew another percentage point. And while I'm looking at data uh, this year to see, to report on 2021, I think we're going to be pleased to see another big step up in sustainably marketed purchases. Well, that's great to know. I, um, I work quite a bit with Joan Driggs from our thought leadership team as well. And she and I are regularly looking at the impact of new product innovation. And this past year, I think we identified about 35 of our new product pay setters were uh, plant-based. We have another strong showing among non-GMO. What are some of the most important areas of growth within the sustainability agenda? Yeah, so um, it really is category dependent. So to the extent that you're in per paper products, as you talk about uh, absence of a printer and paper, um, those uh, categories have good forestry management certifications, um, FSC being the most pristine, uh, then which is Forestry Stewardship Council. Um, in food, it tends to be organic and non-GMO, the emergence of plant-based, as you are correctly uh, uh, bringing up. The emergence of um, B Corp, which is a, uh, for those who don't, don't know about B Corp, it's a third-party certification uh, for companies uh, that um, do good. And so in addition to being, incorpor being incorporated, a B Corp is one step 
uh, further where a, a third party comes in and makes sure that you are delivering against your sustainability commitments, very similar to lead buildings, if L-E-E-D, for those of you who know that. So you're seeing an emergence of B Corp, uh, particularly in some of the dairy categories. And the other thing that's happening is the emergence of carbon labeling. So you're seeing um, many companies, uh, Procter, Church and Dwight, et cetera, making claims about the fact that these products either are carbon neutral or uh, are being made with 100% renewable energy. That's great. I know you guys have done a lot of research around willingness to pay for sustainable products. And some of the consumer data suggests that people are willing to pay between 5 and 10%. But what have you seen in your research about premiumization around sustainable products? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sustainable products are being priced at a premium. Um, what we saw across the board, and we'll be reporting again early uh, next year on pricing, is that uh, sustainably marketed products on average deliver have about a 40% premium to their conventional counterparts. But it varies a lot by category, anywhere from 3% premium to 150% in carbonated beverage. And clearly, those price premiums are above and beyond the raw material cost increases. So it's a very lovely uh, category to invest in, subcategories to invest in, because sustainably marketed uh, products do uh, see a premium. They also are far less price sensitive. So they operate more like luxury goods than uh, so people you can continue they're relatively inelastic. You can continue to take price without seeing um, the the uh, impact on volume that you would see on conventionally marketed products. Um, it'll be interesting to look at it this year because conventionally marketed products, Across the board, CPG has taken price given the supply chain challenges, and it'll be interesting to see if the delta between sustainably marketed products and conventionally marketed products shrink to 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 be uh, seen next year. Yeah, because it's interesting. It will be fascinating to see if the consumer willingness to pay five to ten percent more actually translates to what the gap is, or if they really are. Um, paying two to three times that perceived number that they're that they're paying, so it'll be fascinating to look. What surprised you most about companies' sustainability agenda? Um, impress me much as much? Did no, you... surprised you most. What surprised you most about companies' sustainability agenda? Ah, I believe that. Um, there is a huge opportunity for companies to more aggressively communicate their sustainability agenda to consumers. So it surprises me that big companies uh, that we all know, multinational companies, have pretty aggressive sustainability agendas, whether it's regenerative agriculture, which is a new thing that's emerging, or um good sustainability purchases. Now, most RFPs uh, for all raw materials include a sustainability um, uh, requirement before uh, companies, big companies engage with the raw material suppliers, but they don't always communicate these benefits to consumers. Um, so that is one thing that definitely impresses, uh, surprises me that they 
have these pretty aggressive sustainability agendas and don't communicate that to the consumer. The other thing I think that's surprising me on um, and a bit disappointing is that there is a reluctance for um, big companies, some big companies to change their legacy products and to more sustainable raw material uh, purchases. So I think there's a, a hesitancy to, uh, to uh, alienate any consumers and change the products, but my uh, to more to ones that have more sustainable ingredients. But my feeling is, if they don't, they will perish. So adapt, perish, or perish. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Social media obviously plays an important role in so many consumer areas. How has social media played a role in influencing consumers and in sustainability? And are there any key influencers in this agenda that companies are, are really gravitating toward? Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing on social media is that um, one, companies are using it to tell their story as uh, that is the new area that uh, for um, marketing of products. But the other thing that's happening is there's pretty aggressive boycotts of companies that are not good actors. And so you have, um, as I'm sure all of you have seen, you know, when companies are engaging in child labor and there is some uh, visibility around that, um, even if they're unknowingly using child labor in some sort of in parts of their supply chain, uh, if that is made aware by media that there is a boycott. And so, uh, Consumers are advocating for uh, more sustainable practices, and you will see uh, social media backlash if you aren't a good actor. So you talked before about the impact of carbon footprint. Can you talk a little bit about the financial impact and also some of the processes that people or companies are employing to maximize their carbon footprint? Yeah, definitely. I, I think this is an emerging area, and I'm not sure I'm the most skilled to speak to it, but definitely around renewable energy, circular economy. Everybody's looking for um, new innovations that are less carbon intensive. So uh, waterless options for many of the new products because shipping water is quite expensive. So there's kind of this um, innovation strand, strand as well. Uh, yes. It's interesting. You talk about shipping water and shipping in general has obviously become a major opportunity for consumer packaged goods companies because of e-commerce. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen from an e-commerce platform and the impact positively or negatively with sustainability? Yeah, I think uh, for those of you who are shopping on e-commerce, there is some positives, obviously, in terms of convenience and some negatives. And the negatives really are around the returns So, uh, to, and the, the desire to have things immediately. So most, most e-commerce uh, companies allow you to um, ship in a fashion or deliver to you in a fashion that's less carbon neutral, carbon intensive, please click on that as a way to reduce your, your personal carbon footprint. Um, the ret whole return, uh, returns a product make it very um, 
carbon intensive as well, because there's a whole pick, pick up and take back to the company that isn't there often when you're just buying yourself and not having to worry about purchasing the wrong size and sending it back. Um, and people do object to the amount of packaging that's being uh that the products are being delivered in. There is a company called Loop that's partnering with many of the large CPGs where they're actually going to deliver you product. You're going to use it and then pick it up and refill. And so we'll see how, I know they 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 partner with Proctor and a couple other big companies, and we'll see how that goes and whether people are willing to adopt um, more sustainable practices on that. The um, it's an interesting time to have this conversation, Larry, because right now there's COP happening, which is the climate su- global climate summit um, in Europe. And uh, many polls have come out where people are, it's very clear for the first time ever, environmental concerns top all global concerns and consumers do believe that they've been personally impacted by uh, these environmental issues in a way that they had not been in the past. Um, But they're trying, struggling with how to, um, besides with government intervention, how to personally make changes. Being a conscious consumer and being a sharp, uh, smart shopper, in my opinion, is the best way to do that. Uh, That's great. Where do you see the CPG industry standing in terms of its impact and sustainability compared to areas like automotive or other technology areas? How do, how do you see CPG stacking up? Yeah, so CPG is um, is probably in the middle, but it's a, a bellwether indicator because it is fast-moving consumer goods. So the fact that sustainably marketed products are growing significantly makes uh makes me optimistic about uh, about the future. Um, automotive is probably the most progressive as, as many of the companies have, gen- even as large as General Motors, Volvo, uh, te- certainly with Tesla, with the delivery of 100,000 Tesla cars or something like that uh, to Hertz. Um, automotive has made a big uh, commitment. Uh, oil and gas, perhaps less so. Oh, and you know, you, uh, sorry, we could also talk about the apparel company, you know, fat, fast fashion is not a good thing for uh, for the environment, but this whole emergence of renewables and um, gener- rejuvenation of materials and repurchasing of secondhand products that or purchasing of secondhand products, all that puts apparel a little further up on the, on the list. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, Randy, is uh, you and I look at generations and the impact that generational attitudes have around sustainability. And millennials certainly are ahead of boomers and uh, and Gen and Gen Xers in terms of their passion. But what struck both of us, I think, in our conversations, is that there's still a lot of headroom for millennials to further the agenda. I think some of the st- stats we've seen is that 65% of millennials are likely to use renewable, re- reusable water bottles, as an example. What needs to happen to really get millennials even more focused on the sustainability agenda? I think um, both retailers and manufacturers 
need to be more aggressive in the communication of their sustainability benefits. And what we're seeing is that many retailers, for example, like Amazon and Walmart and um, Sephora, are starting to highlight the sustainability benefits of each individual product. So Amazon now has climate pledge friendly on many of their uh, SKUs that they offer, and they are going to prioritize the more sustainable option. Uh, Retailers like Walmart have made similar commitments. And so that will allow consumers to be more aware of their the of the impact of their choices and so that's one and retailers also should be uh working with manufacturers like Walmart did with Procter years ago um, with the um, reduction in size of detergent bottles and doing more concentrated uh, uh having uh, more concentrated offerings Manufacturers like Unilever have done an amazing job uh, introducing products and that are more sustainable. So I would say uh, retailers play a role. Manufacturers should be communicating as well. But I think it's all around communication so that these millennials who do care uh, and Gen, Gen Zs uh, who do care and are the future consumer um, have an easier time figuring out which is the more sustainable choice and which is the be- which manufacturer is the better actor. Have you seen over the last six or seven years you've been involved with the Center for Sustainable Business and a lot of the students, have you seen a more informed student coming in now with a sustainable agenda compared to a couple of years ago? And Great. how has it changed? Great question. Absolutely. And NYU Business School is a finance-driven business school, and most of the uh, uh, individuals who come or students who come to NYU Business School want to go into investment banking and make private equity and make a ton of money. And so the fact that they are now express who who prioritize money over anything, they are expressing a need to um, be fulfilled and do good and become, and if they don't become an entrepreneur to, with around sustainability. They certainly want to become an intrapreneur within a company to ensure more sustainable uh, agendas. They also um, are demanding, are making decisions based on companies that are good actors. If a company is not considered, so Patagonia, for instance, everyone wants to go to Patagonia. They're a good actor. I won't mention those that uh, those companies that aren't good actors, but we we do get pushback that those companies that aren't doing good, uh, in addition to doing well, are less appealing. And I would also say that we are seeing companies, when they come to pitch to the students, discuss their sustainability efforts, uh, whether it's sustainable finance or their internal sustainability efforts, uh, to the students as a way to make themselves more attractive to these students. There is such a, uh, as we've all read, a um, need to hire the best and the brightest. And there's such an over demand, over uh, su- supply of jobs. So anybody, you can get a job now if you want. And so to get the best and the brightest, you really have to have 
the best uh, of everything, including uh, a sustainability uh, uh, agenda within your company. I love what you just said because it's so interesting that it's not just that the student has to sell his or herself to the company to be part of the team, but the company really has to sell itself to the student because there are plenty of choices for employment. And those that with a better sustainability agenda may have a slight edge against those that don't. So really fascinating. Randy, just one final question before we wrap up today's discussion. You talked before about, I think you called it regenerative farming and the impact that's going to have. Talk to the audience a little bit about that. And are there other evolving innovations in sustainability that you see as really critical over the next four to five years? Yeah, so regenerative farming is um, just as best as I can explain it, is farming in a way that um, ensures uh, that the farm stays sustainable. Um, Also, farming is a great way, if you do it correctly, as a carbon capture. Um, We want to make sure that the farms and our food supply will sustain for our children and our children's children. And so there's ways to farm that don't desecrate the uh, land. Uh, There's going to be a demand on fresh water. Agriculture uses more water than any other industry. Um, Tech as well, actually, is a big industry that's heavily water focused. Uh, And so you want to make sure that you're um, a good steward of the water. All that is in uh, as part of regenerative agriculture. Many of the large companies, CPG companies, anybody who's delivering food to consumers are starting to engage in this regenerative agriculture. They're not communicating. It's so novel. uh, It's not being communicated in a big way to consumers. And I think we have to figure out how best to communicate it so that consumers understand it. It's not an easy concept, but um, it is something that's that's emerging um, in a big way. And I think that will be our future. Uh, that's probably the biggest, um, big, biggest change that I'm hearing about. That's interesting you say that because as you were talking, I was wondering not just about a communication platform, but how will eventually farmers and manufacturers quantify the, the perceptual impact and the financial impact of regenerative farming? So it would be fascinating to watch this. Randy, I can't thank you enough on behalf of IRI's thought leadership team. And our partnership is uh, something that we treasure. And uh, you're a great partner. I'm looking forward to the 2022 story. And uh, hopefully we'll kick that off at uh, IRI's upcoming summit um, sometime next spring. So on behalf of everybody at IRI, thank you so much again for your time. And enjoy the rest of your day, Randy. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.